you for listening to the If You Market podcast. I'm your host, Sky Cassidy, and today we'll be talking about PR with Carla Jo Helms. She's the chief evangelist and anti-PR strategist for Joto PR. Hope I got that right. Uh, Joto PR. Uh, being an alumni of crisis management, Carla Jo has worked with litigation attorneys, private investigators, and the media to help restore companies of goodwill back into the good graces of public opinion. I'm sure there'll be a lot to talk about with that. Um, she's patterned her agency on the perfect balances of crisis management, entrepreneurial insight, and proven public relations experience. Carla Joe, thrilled to have you on today. Thank you. And you did get it right. It is Joto. Joto. I yes. had a hard time getting through that. There's a lot of big words in that, in that intro. There. I, I nailed <laughs> I know, it. You nailed it. You did great. So I couldn't help but notice um, anti-PR strategist. Yeah. Can you explain the title? What's, uh, what's that all about? I can. You know, I um, am in an industry, uh, which is very ironic, that um, has a very bad reputation. So in years of doing crisis management, um, which is a, a very different side of public relations, crisis management is very scientific. It's based on um, natural laws and um, communication, basically rules, right? And um, it's based on strategy. It's based on market research. Um, if this happens, you do this. If this, ha- if this happens, you do this. You have to be very fast about it. Um, and it's not a lot of, um, there's not a lot of room for um, slowness or um, lack of speed and execution or precision. You basically have to get it right. And in those kind of cases, um, you know, PR is has a great reputation. On the other side of it, unfortunately, even though the practitioners and my colleagues are the hardest working, um, in the world of business, PR has gotten a bad rap. And that's usually been by just a handful of practitioners that have done it incorrectly, you know, used it wrongly. To manipulate public opinion, right? Right. When you're doing crisis management, I guess that's also, you know, people are going to, that's when they're experiencing the most PR or noticing that it is even PR, maybe. Exactly. Most people don't understand PR until they get into a reputational problem. When they can't sell, they can't make money, they can't hire, they really understand the need for public relations. But, you know, in my foray into proactive PR, um, and this is an interesting statistic of all the companies that I have, you know, worked for and with to uh, restore their reputation based on crises that happened. Um, you know, we did an investigation one time to find out what was the foundational basic that caused a company to get into trouble. Um, <clears throat> It's not always by coincidence, as you would think. And while I thought it could have been a number of things, right, like maybe, um, you know, unethical or illicit activity at the top that filtered down or, you know, competition that would attack the others and slander libel wars, which all those things happened. Um, What was missing with every single company is they had grown very fast. They had taken over market share, but they did not lay a groundwork of positive public relations to um, control the public opinion so people had a good opinion of them. So when they did get into trouble, um, it was a fiasco for them. Every one of those companies um, saw the need to lay proactive foundational PR um, as part of their marketing and sales process thereafter. And the metrics were pretty alarming. And so one of my, when I say alarming, it's like cost of litigation, cost of business, right? Some companies just have litigation as the cost of business. Their percentages of litigation and how much they were actually paying or even you know, entering into as part of their industry was so low, it was below norm. Right. Um, things like that. PR would have the ability to give them better safety and expansion, right? So I think we can wrap this up really quickly and, and have the podcast over with. I, what, I, what I feel like I'm hearing <laughs> is companies need to take a chunk of their, um, their legal budget when they're starting out and just put it in PR and then you're done. Well, that's funny that you say I'm that. I'm just kidding. Obviously, there's a lot to talk about. But <laughs> that's funny that you say that. 
Well, they do say an ounce of PR is worth a ton of litigation. Interesting, right? Right, right. So are they, uh, we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit here, but companies are, are basically, they don't see the need for PR. They don't think they really need PR until they have a PR disaster. And then they realize, oh, wow, we, we should have had this the whole time. Kind of. Yeah, they, that, that definitely used to be the case in the past uh, year or so. Um, you know, you do have your corporations that always use it, right? Mm-hmm. But you have companies, uh, especially B2B, that are seeing today the insatiable demand for news. Um, and they are looking for PR today, but they have a lot of misconceptions about the way PR has been done in the past, hence the anti-PR moniker, right? Um, But they are becoming more aware. Businesses today are becoming way more aware that um, news and information and uh, third-party credibility affects people's decisions way before they start to even consider being affected by marketing or buying. So you're kind of saying if you use PR early on to develop a brand as marketing kind of, then you're not going to need it so much for the crisis management for for that part of what PR people think of PR for these days. Yes, by statistics, that is proven true. Uh, crises can be mitigated much faster if you have a great foundation of goodwill around your brand. Right. An ounce of prevention. And then, yeah, the goodwill. I mean, we see companies that everybody thinks of as, oh, these guys are the good guys. And then, you know, quote unquote, scandals come up for them and they just kind of blow over because eh, it's okay. The good guys, you know, we trust them. So they did the same thing somebody else does and they get away with it. Yeah, it's very true. And if you really look into those companies, you will see that they are very um, mindful of controlling that goodwill. That is not something that comes by happenstance. Yep. Okay, excellent. I want to jump back a little bit here. Uh, I think everybody's got a a good idea where we're going here and what we're going to be talking about PR-wise to um, how you got into B2B marketing, B2B PR, um, and uh, kind of where you where you came from, your backstory, if you will. Yeah, it was a natural progression. Uh, most, I mean, there are there is definitely B2C PR, um, but in uh, my crisis management days, I was you know out of school. I was uh, had a great opportunity. Uh, timing is everything to um, you know, work on a very heavy crisis management campaign with some of the top PRs in the country and the top litigators and private investigators. And I learned a lot. It was something that um, I hadn't had really any formal training of. Um, and I decided to, that was, it was a rush for me. I mean, it was, they, these are long-term campaigns, but the outcome um, was so beneficial. Not only were we able to turn the company around, save a lot of jobs, um, you know, there were bad guys in the situation. We were able to expose that. Um, it's like your, it's your really, it's your good story of good over evil. That was a rush for me in my twenties. I imagine there's a lot of very fascinating stuff that's all covered by NDAs in that industry. Yeah. Oh, yes. I wish I could tell some of my stories. Some of them are really great. Um, But yeah, lots of stuff is covered. And you know, no, the greatest crisis management campaign is the one that you really never hear about. And nobody wants to talk about something that happened to them in the past, and they got out of it. That's never a success story that a client wants to say. Right. In fixing something that went wrong, usually, if people know how the fix was done, it kind of undoes the fix itself. Yeah, it's, it's like a ma- PR is like a magic trick. You can't explain how you did it. <laughs> yes, this is true. It actually has very, uh, you know, we call them natural laws on the orders of physical sciences. I mean, you do this and this happens, but it is sort of like magic. So how much of it? I always feel like every time I see something that I think is a crisis, whether it's a, you know, somebody's personal PR or a B2B company, it always seems like the number one rule probably um, I'm sure you have a lot of rules in it, but it's just be quiet and wait for it to, something else big to come up and wash it away. <laughs> that's actually the, the worst thing to do. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's actually based on an engineering law. Um, you've probably heard that people abhor a vacuum or nature. I'm sorry. It's nature abhors a vacuum, right? Mm-hmm. So if you have a vacuum tube and it gets pierced, what's going to fill the vacuum tube? Like instantly it's going to be air, right? So 
the same thing goes with communication. If you be quiet, if you sit on it, and this is where companies can get in trouble because they can, you know, hire a firm that's not specialized in crisis management. So what happens is with human behavior is they're going to fill the vacuum and you don't want human behavior to fill the vacuum. You want to control that message and fill the vacuum first. Right. You want to, you want to control what it's filled with basically. Yeah. I mean, um, take it like if you have, you know, a spouse or a significant other or a kid or, you know, they're supposed to be home at a certain time, seven o'clock and they're not home and you don't hear from them. It's eight o'clock. It's nine o'clock. It's 10 o'clock. It's midnight. Um, the likelihood that you're thinking that they're okay um, percentage-wise is way low. It's mostly like something must have happened. I hope they didn't get in an accident. I hope they weren't, you know, whatever, right? That is human behavior. And when it comes to brands, the bigger the brand, the bigger the fall, the faster you have to act, the faster you have to communicate. So that's where that um, nature abhors a vacuum law really comes into play. You have to really respond and fill that void before the negative, the negativity can come, especially from the press. Right. Okay. So I guess maybe certain people need to uh, stop communicating, but the company itself needs to control. (laughs) Well, you should never have the person who's in trouble communicate. Um, Right. You have to communicate for them, drill them, get to a point where they can actually do it without flaw because they will invariably make a mistake. They're under the gun. They're stressed. Right. So maybe the number one rule is whether we're talking about Elon Musk or, or Donald Trump, take away their Twitter first and control the messaging. And then uh, I see so many people that at the top, they're just uncontrollable and they won't stop getting into the fray kind of. And it just seems generally bad for the company. Yeah, they can definitely make it worse. That's why I know in my company, if we have a PR nightmare, it's going to be something I say here on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. So stay tuned. <laughs> we'll get you a t-shirt that says, don't say stupid stuff, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Luckily, I can. we can edit it afterwards. So yeah, that's it, true. You still got to make it through editing. Um, okay. Can you speak a little bit more to kind of what, what your company, what Joto PR does in general? Well, we are a non-traditional public relations firm. We use crisis management uh, PR rules and techniques to proactively put companies on the map so that they can create more market share, um, handle a industry that they're disrupting, um, and control public opinion so their marketing has better ROI and their sales are faster to close. And so we do that through traditional public relations, new digital public relations, and uh, social PR. Um, And we incorporate it throughout their marketing and their sales um, process so that people are constantly getting third-party credibility that helps them, it helps the brand make the sale. Right. Okay. So, I mean, it's, it's basically all about branding. Is that, is that what I'm getting? I'm very unfamiliar with PR, so I'm going to be asking possibly some dumb questions here. But Well, you know, it's not uncommon that you would actually ask that because people try to simplify it according to something that makes sense to them. It is part of branding, yes. Branding can be sort of static. Public relations is where you take that positioning, that branding, and you figure out how to communicate it to a variety of audiences and influencers so that you change people's minds and get them to think in a certain way. I see. So outside of crisis management, because I'm sure that seems like it's its its own thing. Mm -hmm. When you have a company that's, that's looking to get the PR machine up and running for themselves, they don't have a specific crisis going on. What kind of things would a, would a PR firm would like you guys typically do? Well, we typically look at, well, not typically, it's a standard process, right? We look at uh, the company, their goals, what are they trying to achieve, uh, what they're missing in PR, if PR would even be good for them. Uh, We look at their competitors. Uh, We look at the landscape of the public opinion. What is the public opinion about that company? What is the public opinion about that industry? What is the public opinion about their competitors? Um, what are their competitors doing? Where are they leveraging um, this to increase market share? Where do they have the barriers? And 
where public relations can fill in, go in and uh, change people's minds and even create opinion leaders for that company so that they are the brand to go to for X, Y, Z issue, problem, service, whatever. So you've got kind of the, you're doing the research initially, stuff like that. And then you're coming in and looking for opinion leaders. You're talking about influencers in the marketplace. I mean, we basically make, yeah, we make companies and their CEOs and their, um, you know, their C-suite could be a financial analyst. It could be an engineer, whatever, whatever industry we make them the opinion leader. We make them the go-to. And then what's, what's the activity that, that happens in it? Are you looking at putting out, you know, putting articles out into the media? Is it about controlling their marketing messaging? Like, like how does the PR message, the, the research and the work you guys do then get out to the, to the audience? Yeah. So the deliverables are, um, any sort of press uh, communications, right? Articles, radio, TV, broadcasts, even podcasts are huge today. Huge, um, huge, huge. Yeah. huge. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we're controlling the digital sphere. So 57% of B2B buying process begins online before anyone contacts a company. So Key decision makers today are the, the ones that are buying, that are making the decisions to buy. They're spending upwards of five hours a day looking online for news and business solutions that will help them when they're trying to solve a problem, right? And they'll right. research up to up to 12 sources uh, typically before coming to a decision. By the time they decide to contact a company, they've already gotten through 57% of that buying decision. So when right. they contact a B2B company today, you just have basically 40% left to convince them, sell them and close them, right? Well, what they do is they don't, when they, when they look you up, they're looking you up on search engines and they're typically searching out news, right? To find out their information. These are educated decision makers that are wanting to get their information on their own. Um, and no longer today do they look at one source. They look at multiple sources uh, to corroborate and get the data and make a judgment and make an opinion. So when a company is when they're you know when they're tackling issues, uh, performance issues for you know uh, big data, right, or um, healthcare transparency price issues to be able to get the best premiums or you know whatever. When they're reading those news sources and that company, right, the spokesperson, the key opinion leader, the CEO is quoted by a creditable news source. It could be uh, Wall Street Journal. It could be Forbes. It could be their you know, targeted industry press. That affects that decision maker. And they automatically think, you know, if that person obviously is not off the wall, this guy knows what he's talking about. The more they see that the more they're affected by that. And so we control that basically. So is it, it's mostly still news outlets and stuff like that, I guess. Um, Is it, it's public relations, does PR stand for public relations or is that press release? Is that a lot, is it a lot of press release type stuff? Yeah. (laughs) But is it mostly trying to control the press message and what messages is out there through the press or is that a big part of it? That's a huge part of it. That's not the only part of it, but yes, that is a huge part of it. Um, And, you know, that's where press releases really are not marketing fluff. They've been given a bad uh, rap as well. Um, But these are hard news releases that really tackle an industry ill, a harm, a controversy, a, you know, a you know, opposing force, like something that is really wrapping the industry around the bend. And they not only present the problem in that hard news story, but here's the solution, right? And journalists are basically the gatekeepers. I mean, they're, they're publishing stories of problems and issues and solutions for their readers. These readers are looking for that, especially business readers. So, you know, a good story also has to include a good solution and a good source for them, which is an opinion leader. So 
Right. So I guess a lot of it is, is, you know, making sure you're in the news there. Making sure you're in the news. Yeah. And then making sure if you probably cringe, it sounds like every time you hear a news story and they say, we reached out to these people and they didn't get back to us. And because then they just have no input on the, on what story is getting put out. Now tell me that again. So I understand it. Oh, I hear a lot of stories in, in the news. I listen to a lot of radio and, uh, and you hear oh, you know, yeah. people say like, oh, they're reporting on something that happened and they reach out to one of the parties interested and they, they just put in there like, hey, we're only reporting from this, what we know from this one side because the other side didn't give any input. We reached exactly. out to them. They didn't exactly. respond. And so we're, we're going with the news that we have. Um, and I feel like the PR people have to be freaking out when they hear that thinking <laughs> yeah. they didn't yeah, get their voice no in comments. there to help control the message. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, social media plays a huge part in this as well um, because, okay, so you get in the news, um, but then that can be um, even repurposed and leveraged on social media to reach many more people, right? Right. Um, and also, uh, you know, contacting and dealing with journalists on social media, they get a lot of their information there and then they corroborate it with, you know, PR agencies or companies. It's a social media has made this an even bigger problem for companies um, because 68% of consumers, they trust the opinions of others online. So when you have third-party credibility, um, it's paramount. So companies either today are missing the boat on that um, or they're making the most of it. I guess online when people share stuff, the story of nothing to see here isn't really interesting to share. So generally there's a little hyperbole added to things. Uh, and if that's yeah. the message that starts bouncing around, the story always gets a little more exciting every time somebody tells it. And that's not usually <laughs> good for the brand. No, but you know, you can actually control that today. There's lots of tools, machine learning and AI, and then you have smart, fast PR practitioners uh, that can help control the message. If you're first, um, you know, you have a better chance of controlling it. Yeah. Okay. Um, can you, uh, let's jump back again, kind of to, uh, to Joto PR and, and what you do there. Can you give me a, a general idea of what you do on, on an average day, if there is such a thing? Oh my gosh. And it's, you know, with PR, it's very, very different because it depends on what comes up. We deal with thousands of media outlets, um, a day, a week, um, and they all have uh, different needs, different deadlines. There's different stories, different breaking news. Um, but there is a methodical rhythm. You know, uh, we do a lot of writing. <clears throat> we do a lot of publishing, uh, news releases, um, you know, even uh, marketing collateral that is aligned uh, with the PR strategy, blog posts, newsletters, articles, things like that. Um, we're constantly, you know, fielding calls from journalists um, based off of, you know, our pitching efforts, whether it's <clears throat> via phone call or email or social media. And, um, you know, lining up interviews for our clients to do uh, online or, uh, you know, via email today, that's become really big just for fact-checking purposes with all this fake news, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, things like that. It's, and then you're dealing with clients that, um, of course, they want to be in the news, but they're also running companies. So, you know, we're handlers for them. We're finding them. We're reminding them for their <laughs> scheduled interviews. We're having to reschedule based off of a, something that just happened because the COO is in you know, London and couldn't take the, uh, the call for some reason. So it's, um, that's a lot of herding cats and, um, trying to stay on a very consistent deadline with, um, the promotional materials that we're, you know, putting out for clients. Sounds like it keeps you on your toes. Yes. It's, it's, uh, always different. <laughs> I will say. Nice. We, we spoke offline before this and you had mentioned something that really stuck with me. Um, a phrase that you guys use there, intelligent promotion life cycle for, yeah. for PR. Um, I just want to tease that. We're going to go to break here in just a second. But after the break, let's come back and let's talk about PR and the intelligent promotion life cycle um, from PR to promotion to sales to really kind of wrap all this together. And I suppose in, in the mix there with promotion is, is marketing, which is what we're all about. So 
tying all that stuff together. We will get to all that in the second half here right after the break. Great. Hi, this is Daniel Voss from GoToWebinar. I'm the chief webinar wrangler here at GoToWebinar, where we're the largest webinar platform in the world with more than 50,000 customers and 60 million people attending webinars on the platform every year. If you want to come check out GoToWebinar, go to gotowebinar.com and take out one of our free trials and give the product a spin. Hi, I'm your host, Sky Cassidy, and this is the If You Market podcast. Uh, just back from break, we have our guest here today, Carla Joe Helms of the uh, Joto PR firm. Um, Carla, let's get back into, I think we said we were going to talk about this intelligent promotion lifecycle that you guys have over there. Um, let's jump into that. Can you tell me a little more? Yes. Um, <clears throat> we are always collecting data and analytics and, you know, just even on the client lines or the sales lines, you know, what's happening with companies today. And we've noticed quite a while ago that, um, you know, PR, marketing, sales, they used to be in their different silos. And today it's a very congruent process. And PR, marketing, and sales all together is part of an intelligent promotion life cycle, um, even sales, right? So you have PR that's controlling public opinion. And then I think you, after you say that the intelligent promotion life cycle, you have to go ding. That's the TM that shows okay, up. Okay, good. Okay, ding. <laughs> but intelligent promotion life cycle, ding. <laughs> Excellent. Um, but you have PR that is a facilitator to marketing and sales. It's controlling the public opinion, it's getting people to think a certain way, it's warming them up. The purpose is to get people comfortable and interested in buying from you. Great. You've warmed them up. You now have to scoop them up with marketing and marketing has to come along and um, not be a separate, totally individual message. It has to continue the conversation, you know, through the variety of methods, downstream marketing, upstream marketing, account-based marketing, email marketing, which is a great big B2B source, right? So it just dawned on me Yes. Um, when, when you were talking, sorry to, sorry to jump in. Um, but when you're talking about, um, uh, about PR and PR leading into the marketing, first it dawned on me that the sales connecting the sales and the PR, I, I feel like the salespeople and the PR are probably the most different animals you're going to find in a company. Well, you know, they are different because they're very much on first person, you know, credibility, we are the greatest, but they heavily use third-party credibility to make the sale. And that's one of their metrics is how fast can they close the sale using PR. Something that our salespeople run into all the time is what we call in the company here, stranger danger. Yeah. Um, it feels like that's, and we tell them, you know, that's their job is to overcome that. If the people don't know who we are, when you're, when you're coming in cold, on sales, as opposed to what you're talking about, you know, if they're already 60% done coming to you online, then obviously they're over that. But our, our cold outreach team, our sales development reps that are reaching out to people cold, they have this giant hurdle to overcome of these people probably don't know who we are, why we're calling all that kind of stuff. And the, the whole beginning of the call is just going to be them kind of uneasy about who is this random person and what yes. are they calling me about? I suppose enough if you lay a bed of PR down there first and you have that, you know, you developed a strong brand that, uh, that people know and recognize it, it would help overcome any, that, that outbound stranger danger that, that these people can experience. Yeah. And if that's very true. And also, you know, outbound is, is definitely good. You have to have a mix of outbound and inbound. So if you give, if you arm your outbound sales team with what we call icebreakers, right? with, um, you know, a media kit or, you know, very strategic articles that hand, that talk about the very problems that they're experiencing, you know, written by a creditable news source, um, that helps make that decision. We call those icebreakers. It helps people warm up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sorry to hijack the, uh, the conversation there. No, it's good. It's popping mind. So we're, you were, you were on, on PR tying that into connecting to marketing. Yeah. Yeah, so you're gathering this third-party credibility, this proof, this social proof, um, and you're using that within the marketing messages to help, you know, get people to reach. 
Um, and it's all um, interdependent, um, you know, in tandem with each other, dovetailed with each other. And then when people reach and they become leads and um, they become prospects and so forth, it goes into the sales funnel. And the sales funnel has quite a bit of promotion that they have to do themselves very intelligently in order to close the sale. It's not just all sales techniques. So we're finding that there are so many pieces to the puzzle today that we can look at that as a whole life cycle. And it has to be very intelligent um, based off of, you know, the audience's needs, what kind of prospect is coming in, what, you know, how you rate the lead uh, and so forth. And you can actually track the metrics all the way through the life cycle um, instead of just relying off of, you know, the very end of the, you know, what, what closed to the sale, because that can really affect budgets. If you don't have budgets in the right places, what started it, what fostered it, what grew it, you know, what closed it, you can cut off your uh, nose despite your face in budgeting. Right, right. So that's what, that's what we call it today. And, you know, B2B has been behind um, B2C in that particular um, aspect, but it's not becoming behind anymore. It is gaining traction. It occurs to me also when you're talking about tying the, the connection between PR and sales, uh, you know, salespeople will have testimonials and references and stuff like that. But a reference of a client that the company puts together and kind of cherry picks is probably very different than... Um, you know, Time Magazine having something written up or, or you know, the, a local newspaper or any news publication that's basically has a testimonial or a reference practically they're, they're doing for this company, even if it's just writing about them to where people can say, oh, okay, these, these people are real and I can trust them. Yeah. I mean, the people instinctively know that journalists are, um, you know, not, they're writing quote unquote unbiased pieces. Um, it's not an advertorial. So if you, you know, a prospect there sees, uh, wow, there's an article about them in, you know, Apple News and then CNN and then Fox and then Fox Business and also TechCrunch, and that's just part of it. And I've read that and they're addressing the very problem that I'm trying to handle. Well, if all these publications think they're good enough to put them in there. You know, uh, you know. Right. They must be legit. I don't need to. I don't need additional references, basically. Exactly. Yeah, and it just enhances the testimonials. Then, right? Everything right. works together. I guess I do see frequently people when uh, I receive emails from them and other other communication where at the bottom some people will just list off as seen on and then um, you know for for their services or whatever it is business services they'll list off all the places that you know that they've been published or mentioned or. Yes. guested or whatever it is. Yes. And when you're working with VC companies that work with startups, one of the very first things that they demand is a publicity program, right? Right. right. Um, and then you, you have your technology companies that are, um, you know, trying to raise money and it's very important that they have a lot of publicity. So, you know, so that's all you guys. When we that's see those, uh, <laughs> that's, that's you guys. It's in, you bring up, um, you bring up startups and stuff like that. It, I was curious, it seems when startups come out, they kind of have this this big initial burst. And I'm wondering, is that mostly marketing or is there a lot of PR there in that that huge push that they have to, to get their brand and their name out initially? Today, it's a lot of PR. Um, we work with startups mostly, well, the startups that we work with have uh, VC backing or they're serial entrepreneurs. Um, and so they will do PR for a period of time, even before their marketing strategy hits in. They might even do it for up to a year just to create so much buzz. So by the time they pour their marketing dollars out, they have warmed up a public that is very ready to buy their services. Right, right. So I guess it, it does hold true that if you market, they will come and PR it's, is a way to do that. It's true. <laughs> PR just primes the pump. We actually can't do our job without... Uh, a good marketing and a good sales funnel there. And so that's part of the reason of the whole life cycle. If, if marketing and sales is sort of hinders or hobbling along, it will affect the outcome of PR. So you guys are preparing the field for sales and marketing basically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you have startups and they do a big burst of PR to get, you know, like you said, to get a buzz going. Um, 
and get the field prepared for sales and marketing. What about non-startup companies? Do they typically want to do PR in bursts? Is it an ongoing trickle of PR? Um, does it depend on the situation? How does that work? Mostly they want to do consistent, regular PR to supplement their marketing and sales. They're companies that have been around for a while. They might have been top of the game in the past, but then they had other competitors that blew past them, or now they're not so differentiated in the market. Um, and so they want to get back on top again. So that is a consistent um, year after year. Let me increase my, as they're expanding, let me increase my PR. Let me increase my marketing, uh, you know, as they, they just put it in part of the, the whole um, cycle for them. So constant pressure is generally more effective than individual bursts? Yeah. And even on the individual burst, it's a period of time where you're having constant press. So it's a constant um, burst. <laughs> yeah, it's a constant burst. So, you know, you have to be able to produce news stories, you know, three, four, five, six news stories more monthly, month after month after month after month after month, whether it's short term or long term. Um, the more people see that, the more regular it is. It affects the search engines drastically. Um, you know, the media outlets, they have their own, you know, algorithms and ways that they initially pick up news to find out what's hot. Then, of course, their editorial departments and based on what they're going to publish. Um, you know, right. it, it, it's quite something today with the digital landmine. You know, I, I call it a landmine. It's a landscape and a landmine. You know? Yeah, I guess these kind of people always think these this stuff makes everybody's life easier. And really in marketing, frequently the advances that come along, all they do is just they create a lot more work for everyone because you used to have one channel to focus on. And now you have 50 and it isn't like, great, now I can, well, all your competitors are also on these 50 and now you have 50 more things to do. Yeah, I was just saying that the other day. You're right. Automation creates more work. There's two kinds of advancement I, I've always seen. There's the kind of the arms race advancement where you're not actually, there's no advancement at all. It's here's a tool. Now everybody has to use it or you're at a disadvantage. And mm -hmm. then there's things that actually make your life easier. Those come along a lot less often. That's I think, true. <laughs> uh, back in the day, if you got on the Today Show, that was probably all you needed. But now there's so much media that you've got to be on many places all over the place in order to get any attention in order to move the needle at all. Yeah, it's true. And, you know, in saying that and moving the needle, I do want to talk about how you measure um, PR because that is a common misunderstood for, you know, many companies. And there are very exact, you know, metrics that you use. Exciting. All right. Yes. Uh, yes. Right. The first of which is your gross revenues, right? Your gross, whatever people call it, gross income, gross sales, gross revenues, uh, the amount of exposure, um, how much you have, have consistent. And we have tracked this with many companies. The graphs are spookily correlated. Um, it is directly related to gross revenues, the amount of publicity exposure that you have. Mm -hmm. Um and we've done this over three, five-year periods, which is, um, you know, pretty incredible. You look at also what you look at is you look at overall new business because PR primes the pumps. It gets people comfortable and interested. So you look at overall new business. That's a metric. You also look at marketing ROI. Is your marketing ROI increasing? Are you getting more for your marketing dollars? And you're looking also at cost per lead. Is your cost per lead lowering? That's a very significant one. Um, and then there's two more. Um, the length of time to close a sales cycle. So those speed up. You know, sometimes B2B can be very long. Um, yep. And so you're looking at the speed with which to close sales cycles. Um, and your last one is client retention. Um, because clients like to stay with companies that are on top of their game, that are, you know, staying ahead of their industry, looking out for them, considered thought leaders. It gives them lots of trust. Uh, the public today is very fickle. Um, but those are the metrics that companies use, and they can directly be tracked to your publicity. So at the risk of um, sounding like an idiot here, um, I love questions. There's no, there's no <laughs> idiot question. I do like to tell people there's no dumb questions, just dumb people. 
Um, so at the risk of sounding like a dumb person, uh, I usually don't ask the question, ask the question after you say that. Okay. Um, <laughs> pretty fast. Um, I'm wondering when it comes to budget, when yeah. are you guys usually hired paid out of the marketing budget? Where, where do, does a, does a PR usually come into play? Companies today put it out of the, the, um, marketing budget and, um, also the profit. Um, we are an extension of marketing. You know, we prime the pumps. Um, some companies today are spending upwards of 50% uh, of their marketing budget on PR. Um, right. Others will take it out of their um, profits because they uh, know that their um, valuation of the company increases to the degree that their goodwill and publicity increases. So they're looking at it um, as a way to, you know, increase that evaluation percentage. So both of those. So to, to put an analogy on it, it seems like PR isn't quite, it's part of marketing, but it's not upstream marketing. It's so far upstream that you guys are really seeding the clouds to cause the rain. To, so there will be a stream kind of. You know, we're, we're definitely doing that. PR plants the seed. And marketing grows it. So planting the seed is huge today. You know, people don't realize that the initial battlefield that you have is the mind. And if you can consume the mind of your consumer and they're thinking of your service, your product, your brand, um, then that that's the battlefield. And marketing has such an easier time of doing that. You guys are winning the hearts and minds before the boots hit the ground, kind of. Yep. We're actually breaking down that brick overcoat of resistance so that um, people can be sold to. Excellent. Something else I wanted to get to here. Um, what At what size is PR something companies should be looking at? It doesn't seem like everybody, you know, a small mom and pop shop doesn't really need PR, but there's got to be some point where you say, hey, this companies of this size need PR companies of this type need PR. Like who really should be thinking about this that, that maybe isn't. Yeah. Just by years of, uh, you know, monitoring this companies start, if they really have expansion plans, they start looking at the need for PR when they're around 2 million in revenues. We find that companies, um, between two and 5 million might have a little trouble supporting a PR machine, not just budgetary-wise, um, but more um, the infrastructure of the company to be able to support that. Um, but to have that constant pressure of PR that you're talking constant about. Constant pressure, the expansion that it creates, um, they have to have certain internal things in place, so we help consult them on that. But about $5 million is uh, the starting point that we see. So if um, I hear you right, you're saying below five million, they're not going to be able to handle the sales that PR is going to create. Yeah, we, you know, <laughs> it, it, it's true. <laughs> it, it, the, there is an influx of reach that comes in, and they have to have certain marketing and sales processes to put that reach into certain buckets. You know, not everybody is a slam dunk sale. Some have to be nurtured for a longer period of time. There's different buckets that you put them in. They have to have those processes set up. If they don't, we'll help them. We'll get them so the to lo- that The point. logistics of PR that, that it brings in just kind of complicates things at that size. It can. And it's a constant machine. Uh, when you're controlling public opinion, you have to constantly be putting out uh, you know, information. So it's a variety of things. We have a checklist that we go through. Um, sometimes companies beg us before they're ready but we'll get them through that checklist to make sure they can really support it. Right. Right. Okay. Fantastic. Um, but startups, obviously startups that could, that, um, you know, understand the need for it and they're in heavy, you know, competitive industries like tech, they will do PR in the beginning. Right. I I know I don't want to, I really hate speaking to consumer stuff, but I do see a lot of consumer commercials out there for new products, new mattresses, new, you know, new underwear, all these things that come out, new boxes full of things that'll be shipped to you. And it seems like, you know, they have these just massive startup pushes to, to convince people that, uh, that they want this and need it and that kind of stuff. 
Yeah, well, you should actually, you know, Google them and do some Google news searches on some of those companies. Some of those companies have a huge amount of PR that they've put putting out way before that. Um, quite very interesting. Just do a little uh, case study test sometime. You'd be surprised. Yeah. Okay. And again, back to B2B. Sorry about that sidetrack. No problem. Um, (laughs) But I guess let's go way, way back to the beginning here with B2B. When it comes to PR, most people think consumer stuff for PR. You guys seem to focus, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you seem to focus on B2B mostly. Yeah, mostly. Why B2B? Why Why did you gravitate towards that? Um, B2B is, uh, has very specific problems. You know, you have services that, um, needed quite a lot of education. So like in the financial industry or in the healthcare industry, there's a lot of education and storytelling that needs to be done to get people to trust or feel good about a new service or product or technology. Um, there can be a lot of controversy in certain intru- you know, industries based on you know, past things that have happened or what's ongoing, like today in healthcare. Um, that needs public relations. Um, and um, B2B companies, just like B2C, they're very interested in um, you know, controlling their reputation. And there's a lot of disruption going on right now. Um, and has been, but even more so in the B2B, um, you know, in the B2B industries. I mean, software and platforms that are sold directly, you know, B2B. Would you say when there's a shift in how people are are um, working with certain industries that, I mean, it's, there's like a re-education that needs to happen to to get people in the right mindset to for how they're working with these companies, for how they're interacting, for how the companies work now versus what how they've always just naturally thought of, of the businesses they're interacting with. Yeah. Anytime you have change that? like that, anytime you have change like that, like disruption. So you've got innovation that is coming in and changing things for the better, but it does uh, erupt and affect things like the status quo that right. creates a lot of, you know, people don't know what's happening. There's gaps. Again, there's that vacuum, right? So PR has to fill the vacuum, the, you know, the purpose of the company, the goal, the mission, why they're doing it. PR sells the right. why. When people, Everybody thinks something works a certain way, but it's changed, and now you guys have to let them know. Yeah, yeah. And so it, it can you know, create a lot of problems. They can spend enormous amounts of money in marketing that makes a little dent because people have such fixed opinions based on what's happened in the past that the only thing that really changes that public opinion is, is PR, that third-party credibility. So B2B is undergoing massive changes, and uh, we find that those companies need it uh, the most. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring back a word that was uh, used a lot in the past, a paradigm shift here. It seems like when an industry has a paradigm shift, PR really has to step in and and kind of re-educate people and change the way they used to think about that industry in order for the sales and marketing to be effective when it comes in. Um, Would that be accurate? That's very accurate. And there's something that most people don't realize about that paradigm shift. When you have that, you have big behemoths and you have large parts of markets and even vested interests that have been part of that status quo. And you have these new disruptive companies that are coming out, right? And, you know, a lot of the misinformation that can come out can be put out by those that have want the status quo to remain the same just because of the market share. Right. Um, it is a war. We call it the war of information and it does happen. I do so, always say big companies, I think, are not very interested in innovation because they're on the top of the mountain. They just want everything to stay how it is keep collecting, keep their, their large percentage of the share. They really don't like innovation coming along and making them work for their share again. No, and it's really hard to steer those boats. Those corporations that actually do that, they will sequester off or compartment off a certain part of the corporation to do the innovation where it doesn't interrupt their business processes. One other thing I have down here, um, we mentioned the the trigger word of fake news came up earlier. Yeah. Um, 
fake news. I was talking to somebody the other day about information and how there was this, and I, I didn't come up with this. I heard it somewhere else and was just talking about it like I came up with it, but um, how we thought with information, you know, everybody was going to know everything and then things, everything would be so much better. And then, you know, everybody has an agenda and other people come along and say, oh, there's a lot of information out there. We'll just counter it with other information, you know, with um, a different version of, you know, their own reality, that kind of stuff. And then nobody knows what to think. And, you know, everybody just ends up grabbing on to their, whatever they believed already or whatever's most convenient for, for their specific situation. And then, you know, we get more and more polarized in everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so it seems like to back to the, uh, to the business side of things, kind of, there's so much information out there and there's all this conflicting information, um, you know, whether it's, whether it's personal stuff, political stuff, business stuff, there's just so much information out there. Can you speak to that kind of the information landscape and how PR, like how do you guys combat so much information? Yeah, I would love to um, because we see something that others don't. Um, Listen, with all of this fake news, um, it it actually is a, a boon for companies today. I'm very much a contrarian theorist only by what I see, right? What I have you are the anti-PR person. <laughs> no, so. It's very true. But we just did, we just commissioned a market analysis on this just to see really what was going on because we had our own insight from our own analytics and dealing with the media every day. But, you know, in the advent of quote unquote fake news, we have seen more news outlets that have cropped up, more new ones. Um, the industry is adapting to this, right? And so you may have quote unquote fake news or a Um, media channel being labeled as fake news by maybe one half of the population or whatever. So you have by another media channel. Yeah, right. And so it's not shutting down the ability to communicate. It is creating more and more media outlets. Um, And we find this increasing exponentially in our database. We have access to that in real time, right? Right. But then that's just more information out there. And how did this is, this is the deal. This is what's happening. They are, it's no longer mainstream. They are super segmenting, just like marketing, super targeting uh, publics. We call them publics. You could call them target audiences, right? Um, That align the information for those particular publics. So no more. So today what's happening is People will, um, by study, they'll go to, you know, they'll look at things in mainstream media and then they will um, have retreated into their own self-curated news information bubbles. They go and they have many of them and like they're selecting a playlist for music and they are studying multiple channels to come to what they consider a balanced opinion. It is actually way smarter than what you give people credit for. There are smart people that are looking at the news and not just taking it for face value. And not only are they just deleting it, but they are studying multiple, multiple news sources to come to a balanced um, decision, right? And you- But I guess I, I feel like now, kind of in music in the past, you would have a DJ and the DJ says, hey, I know about music we're a rock station or we're a country Western station or whatever it is. And I know this music and I'm going to play you the best of this music. And so you would get, you know, somebody who knew what they were doing with music and they would be, you know, they would be curating the songs. Now with, with media, you have social media and they've got these algorithms and they're not really trying to curate the best news or they're just curating what they think you want to hear kind of. Mm-hmm. I feel like you know, a lot of people are complaining that, like you said, they create, they create these bubbles, but they're creating the bubbles because their interests are not really in you knowing what's what's really going on and seeing all the news out there. And I, I, we're kind of pushing into consumer type stuff, but well, it's a consumer driven economy. It doesn't even matter if it's B two B. It's consumer driven today, and that's what's causing all the upheaval. But people B two B news. If there's certain stuff that you that you look at, then the machines are going to, you know, the social media, wherever you're picking up your news, is going to say, oh, this is what this person wants to see. I'm going to feed them more of this because, again, their motive is to get you to spend more time on the articles. And there's so much information out there now they can cherry pick what they think you're going to respond to that's going to, you know, get 
eyeballs and get clicks and that kind of stuff. Yeah, but it doesn't work. I mean, truth is a very powerful thing. And, um, you know, that is what's causing the distrust. You know, you have secondhand information and firsthand information. So people are reading the news and looking for different uh, sources to corroborate what they're seeing firsthand, right? And a news right. source that deals in facts and published sources and truth and quality content with great solutions, those are the respected news sources. And, and, and those I guess are when we're talking about when we're talking about B two B stuff, uh, if you if you're getting bad information from somewhere, you find out pretty quickly when your when your ROI and your cost per lead and all that stuff doesn't really mesh up with what you're being right. told. It's true. Um, when you're being when you're being pitched a product and it turns out it doesn't really have any value to you, it's it's really hard for that to hide. Um, that's that's the reason I love B two B is because it just things get exposed. Yeah, there is no. You know, nobody's here for vacation. This is work and things have to add up at the end of the day. Um, okay. I wanted to cut, touch on a couple more things here, but back to the media thing mm -hmm. and the news. Do you have any outlets for B2B news that you could recommend and that, that people read? I know I, I like uh, marketing profs and then I have a couple others who I go to for, uh, um, for different types of B2B content that I subscribe to. What, what would you recommend? Well, I mean, it really depends on the industry, right? Um, there's millions of publications today, to, to be quite honest. It depends on what you're, you know, extremely interested in. I, I, I'm sorry, I don't have that prepared. Um, no problem. I was putting you on the spot. Yeah. But, but, I mean, that is an answer just to say I mean, really industry-specific publications. Yeah. I mean, we could look up right. a category or an industry and find out, you know, very specifically what are some you know, top tiered, um, you know, B2B publications for whatever. Right. You have stuff like TechCrunch for, for technology yes. stuff. You have, I mentioned marketing props for, for B2B marketing. I think they touch on some B2C too, but I won't mention that. Um, but whatever industry people are in, they should look for publications that are specific niche to their industry. Yeah. And some of them already know, and they actually, uh, you know, follow these in certain industries, right? Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. We're starting to run a little bit long here, um, which I'm totally fine with, but is there anything else you want to, you want to cover before we wrap, wrap up anything we haven't touched on here? I don't think so. We've touched about a lot of stuff. I know we probably have people really thinking about things now. We covered it all. PR is done. We're <laughs> We've covered a lot of it. Yeah. Excellent. I think I'd love to have you on uh, another time. I know there's there's tons more to talk about. I have a lot of questions I've written down that oh, good. Uh, are just going to get, we'll, we'll be on here forever if we start digging in, keep digging into this stuff. Okay. Um, it's been fantastic having you on. Let me see. I think uh, I have here, you, you, you gave us a, this PRIQ test that, that your company has for people. We'll put that uh, that link on the show notes. Great. But it's uh, jotopr.com slash free dash PR dash IQ dash test. Correct. Uh, and if that does not come across and doesn't work for you when you type it in, just uh, go to the show notes um, at ifyoumarket.com and it'll be there. Where can people go to learn more about you, learn more about uh, JotoPR? They could go to our website. There's a lot of data there, JotoPR, J-O-T-O-P-R.com. And we have, we have a great white paper. Um, it's called The War of Information. If they go to the Contact Us page and, you know, put in their information and put War of Information white paper, we'll send it directly to them. It's a very special white paper on the state of the media, the disruption that's going on between the media and business, how to capitalize on it, and how to get ahead of, um, you know, this informational era where people are seeking news before they buy. Excellent. And then uh, I guess if people are having any sort of a crisis management uh, issues, they can they could shine some kind of bat signal out and you guys will come running or just go to your website. I suppose we'd probably be most effective. Uh, give you guys a call and, and um, you probably have some sort of PR SWAT team that would sweep in. Yes, we do. We have a PR SWAT team. It's all very confidential. Um, but <laughs> they can call us and, you know, get information and we can, um, you know, help them out, see what we can do. I, I will say this for anybody that's in a crisis, you know, there's always a solution. You just have to go find it. Excellent. Okay. Okay. Um, so check the show notes, uh, as I mentioned before on this stuff, um, for more information on, uh, Carla Joe and, uh, Joto PR, and that's on the ifumarket.com website. 
So on behalf of the If You Market team and uh, Carla Joe of Joto PR, thank you all for listening. And please share us on social media, all the social medias. I'll pluralize that. Uh, tell your friends, even if they're not in B2B marketing, and uh, give us a good review on iTunes. That goes a long ways. We're still waiting here for an apology from Kevin Costner, by the way. With that said, we want to say, remember, if you just build it, you'll be a crazy guy standing talking to himself in the cornfield. But if you market the shit out of it with PR, they will come. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.